0: Back in Romans 5 this morning. If you want to turn there with me, Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21 on our uh, drive through Romans, our journey here. And I want us to consider this morning uh, the influence that one person can have on the world. Have you ever thought about how much influence one individual can have? Just one person can impact the world in incredible ways. Take Thomas Edison, for example. This, this guy has a record 1,093 patented inventions, including the light bulb, the record player, and the motion picture camera. Albert Einstein developed quantum physics and the theory of relativity. Abraham Lincoln set 3.5 million slaves free with one Emancipation Proclamation. Life-changing stuff, world-changing. And uh, because my wife fell and, and hurt her back recently, there was a story out of India that stood out to me. It's actually fairly recently in the last century. Here, there was a man by the name of ja- Dashrath Manji, who lived in the mountains of India with his wife. He was kind of a shepherd out in the mountains, and one day his wife fell while they were out doing their thing. Right, she falls down a mountain slope. And because they could not get her to the hospital in time, uh, she died from her injuries. Well, after her death, this guy spends 22 years with a hammer and chisel carving a path through the mountain ridge so that a car can drive through it. Cutting their drive time to the nearby town with a hospital from 45 minutes to, or 45 miles to four miles, the hospital was only four miles away. They just couldn't get her there in time, and so that guy um, he changed a lot of things, right? He didn't want that to happen to anybody again. So, um, in that sort of situation, time is life. So. One person, again, is all it takes to change the world. One person can affect great good, but another person can affect great evil. One person can destroy, and another person can, can build up. So we can change the world either for good or for evil. One person can start a fire, another person can put it out and and rescue many lives. And and that's really the heart of the passage that we are in in Romans 5 this morning because we're talking about the power of two men who single-handedly changed the world. Adam, the first man, and Christ, whom Paul calls the last Adam, the last Adam, You could say that history is the story of these two men and how their actions have shaped our world and transformed lives. And uh, if you've ever wondered why we're all sinners and why we all need Jesus and why Jesus had to die on that cross, why there was no other way, Paul answers these questions in Romans 5. Last time we were in Romans 5, we looked at Um, the the benefits of justification. And this time we're going to look at how justification by faith overcomes the fall uh, that began with Adam, the fall into sin. So first man we're going to look at is Adam. Sin and death in Adam, verses 12 through 14. Verse 12 reads, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin... So death spread to all men, because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin was not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. So, the first man we're talking about is Adam. It's through this one man, Adam, that sin entered into the world and death through sin. And this gets us into what is often called the doctrine of original sin. And it's a really uh, complex passage. Some think it's one of the most complex passages in the New Testament, the one we're in today. Uh, We could talk very deeply about this. We could talk at great lengths. About this, But my aim is just to keep it practical, down to earth this morning, hopefully digestible. Uh, before we dive in, I would like to point out, though, that um, what Paul says here makes no sense if there wasn't a real historical first person named Adam. Uh, I know people want to make fun of that these days, right? Because we've all embraced evolutionary theory, and there was always you know, life and death and life and death until man came along. But the Bible says there was no death until sin entered the world, which means God did create, and a real Adam and Eve, they really existed. It was perfect until they sinned against God. At that point, then death entered the world. I mean, if Adam isn't a real historical human being... If he isn't the father of us all, then everything from Genesis onward is useless. I mean, that's how important it is to believe in the creation account the way that the word of God says. It it, it went. Because without that, without Adam, nothing else makes sense. Why would Christ even have to come kind of thing. So, I just want to point that out because Old Testament and New Testament, including Jesus... Go back to Genesis and teach that Adam and Eve really existed, and because of it, that's why Jesus had to come. That's why this world is the way that it is. Um, It's the foundation for the rest of the teachings in Scripture. But uh, when Adam sinned, death, both physical and spiritual, spread to all men, Paul says. Death spread to all men. So as head of the human race, Adam affected all his descendants after him. And that's, that's us. We're all his descendants. Did you know we're all related? All right, that's kind of weird, huh? But I mean genetically, I mean, it does go back to one person. It goes back to Adam. He plunged all of mankind into sin and death and condemnation. And I know what you guys are thinking. When I get to heaven, I'm going to wring his neck, right? When I'm out spraying thistles in the middle of summer and sweating bullets out there and dealing with that 2, d and whatever chemicals, I always think, oh, Adam and Eve, you know, these thorns and thistles. Genesis 3. Thanks, Adam. Thanks, Eve. That's what I go back to. But in my mind. But we think, right, when it comes to this situation, we think that, well, this isn't fair, And why should I be punished for Adam's sin? I mean, it's not like I was there, I didn't choose this, right? Why should we have to pay for Adam's sin? Why would God condemn the world because of the act of one man? And I think uh, if we're honest with ourselves, if we were in Adam's shoes, don't you think we would have done the same thing? Because, be honest with me, when you see a sign that says, wet paint, don't touch, what do you do? You just want to see if it's dry, right? You just want to touch a little bit. Yeah, see, if you see a sign on a door that says, do not enter, keep out, what do you do? I'm just going to peek in there a little bit, see what's in there. Right, So if a document says, top secret, you want to find out what the secret is, right? That's human nature. Well, Adam just wanted one little taste. I know I'm not supposed to eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil. I just want one little taste of it. That's kind of how it works. And let's bring up the tree thing. Why would God even put this tree there in the first place? You ever thought about that? Why did God, if God's in control of all this, why did he even put that tree there? Why did he even allow this to happen? Well, the reason is because love is a choice. It's a verb. Okay, it's not a feeling. Adam had the choice. God left that tree there because he didn't create a bunch of robots here. He wants a real relationship. Real relationships require a will. A will, a choosing. And God left it there for Adam and Eve to demonstrate their loving allegiance to God. And he chose to be his own God, really. Eve was deceived, but Adam deliberately chose to disobey. And I think we all would have done the same thing. But another reality is that we all make decisions that impact others, don't we? I mean, why does it? Why does this? Why does his sin affect us? Well, we when all of our deci- our decisions affect people around us, don't they? Very seldom do our decisions only affect us. A father, a wayward father is going to affect his family, right? Wayward mother, same thing. Our decisions. Our president makes a decision. It in fact affects. Sorry, effects, affects. I don't even know this morning. It affects everybody in our country your leaders, those who preceded you. It affects you. Why are you here this morning? Why are you in the state of Nebraska? Probably because of someone who preceded you. If, if you chose to move here, well then, why are, even, how did you end up here? Right? You had some, some descendants who immigrated from Europe or wherever to America. It's not just because the wagon wheel fell off. right? You are the product in many ways of those who preceded you. Our decisions affect others. That's one of the principles that we see here. And uh, Adam's decision resulted in his descendants, all of us, being born into a state of sin. It's just one of the facts of lives, of life. We enjoy or suffer the consequences of those who are around us and over us or before us. Uh, we all suffer the punishment for our own sins, too, not only because Adam sinned, but because, as Paul said, well, we all sin. So, let's talk about this physical and spiritual death. I mentioned that. It says that death entered through sin. Death came into the world through, through sin. And there's a couple different types of deaths that happened that day that Adam sinned against God. Number one, we have physical death. And in Genesis 1-2, through 2, the world was the perfect paradise. Remember, God called it good, good, and very good at the end of each day. Adam and Eve lived together in perfect harmony. The animal kingdom, they were in perfect harmony with the animal kingdom. Animals weren't eating each other, nothing like that. Um, uh, The planet, they lived in perfect harmony with the planet. They were transparent with each other, a little too transparent if you ask me, and uh, flourishing. But there was no death or suffering in the world at that point. It was perfect harmony. It was the way God intended it to be. God never intended for death and, and suffering for us. But in Genesis 3, through the influence of Satan, man sinned against God. Man wanted to be his own God, and God warned Adam. He said, look, if the day you eat of that tree, you're going to surely die. Well, when Adam ate of that tree, what happened? Did he just kill over physically? No, but death did enter the picture at that point. Physical death did. He would eventually die die. They would die physically. Every tombstone, coffin, and cemetery, morgue, mortician, these are all evidence that what God said would happen did happen. (laughs) They're they're all evidence that that sin is in the world. Uh, Just as parents pass on physical characteristics, some of you guys passed on your physical characteristics, right? The older you get, the more you look like, feel like, do things like your, your mom and dad, right? You, even this week, so on my, my wife's side of the family, uh, it was finally revealed. It became evident that uh, so-and-so had Huntington's disease, that they did get it. Like later in life, it began to show up. Hunting's, Huntington's disease is awful, but um, you have about a one-third chance of getting it. And so we pass on, now all the children know that they have a one-third chance of getting it. And they might not know for some time, but um, we do pass on physical characteristics, physical things. And um, it's a sad reality, but even sadder is the reality that every child of Adam, which is all of us, has a 100% chance of getting the sin disease. It's not a one-third chance. Every single one of us has contracted this sin disease, and we are all born helpless to remedy this disease and the consequences of this disease are far worse than, than we can imagine. It's separation from God forever, um, both now and forever. Our sin separates us from God. That leads us to the spiritual death side of things. And this is the death that I think happened the day that Adam chose to rebel against God. It was a spiritual death. And we have to define death. Death means separation, never annihilation. Uh, when someone dies physically, there's a separation that takes place, right? Their soul, spirit, the immaterial part of that person leaves. It separates from the material part of that person. But There's also um, a spiritual death. We are separated from God's goodness, from God's fellowship, from fellowship with God through sin. Sin separated Man from God in a relational sense. Uh, They became, man became God's enemies. The fellowship with God, that spiritual connection with God was broken. And this is why we feel so distant from God at times. It's because of sin. That sweet fellowship with Him is broken. I mean, if we are without Christ, we are spiritually dead. There is no spiritual antenna there. The rabbit ears are broken off. We're spiritually dead. But even if we have Christ and we're still living in sin, we're not going to feel that close connection to God because that sin is breaking the fellowship. Yes, we are saved, but sin can bring interruption to our relationship with Him. I like to think that at the fall into sin, man lost his FM frequency. You know how your radios have an FAM, FM? Does anybody still use radios these days? Now, the FM frequency uh, that was lost is the faith man frequency. The faith man died. The man of faith died that day in the garden. His spiritual antennas lost their sensitivity or reception to the things of God. And there's no amount of you know, adjustment of the, the rabbit ears or tinfoil that can fix it. You can't fix this spiritual reception on your own. You're just too far from God. You need someone to come adjust it for you, basically, which is Christ. But, uh, so now all that we're left with is the AM frequency, whom you might call the Adam man or the animal man. We've gone from FM to AM. And uh, basically, this is man, Adam man, animal man. He's the man out of touch with God. And he's, and he's running around on, on his own instincts, doing what he thinks is right. And in the end, it leads to death. So the animal man, or the natural man, whatever you want to call him, this concept comes from 1 Corinthians 2.14. It says, but a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he can't understand them because they're spiritually appraised. So, this is why so often I think when you, when, why when you share the gospel with somebody, you ever shared the gospel with somebody and it's just like their eyes glaze over, they, there's nothing there, nothing's getting in, penetrating? There's a deadness there. There's the, the reception is gone. They're a natural man. And uh, that's, there's a wall there. It's like they tune out. That's, what it, that's what's going on there. They're spiritually dead. They need the Spirit of God. To illuminate them to an understanding of the gospel and to convince them of the gospel. This is why it's so important to rely on the Holy Spirit when we're witnessing or when we're preaching. I mean, when I when we prayed up here just before the service, we were praying, Lord, may your spirit do a work here today, because it doesn't matter if I'm preaching the truth, if God's spirit's not working at work in your hearts. And in your minds and in your, in your lives, like he has to do a work at least convincing you of the gospel. Illuminating the truth of his word for you. Um, this is why Jesus said we have to be born again. It's because we're all spiritually dead. We need to be born spiritually. Ephesians 2 says we are dead in sin and need to be what? We need to be made alive in Christ. I also think it's plausible to say that because man is spiritually dead, he has an empty void in his heart. Sometimes uh, the Bible calls it a hard heart. But he's got got a, a vacuum there. Because man was created to have the Spirit of God indwelling him, now that that's gone, there's a vacuum created. And so man is constantly trying to use the things of the world to fill that void that was created because the spirit is not there. So he's going to look to the things of the world, the unspiritual man, the natural man, the Adam man, is constantly trying to satisfy this vacuum, this longing, this desire for something more. He doesn't know what he was created for, which is a relationship with God, and so he's trying to fill it with the things of the world, be those things positive or be those things negative. So negatively, an unspiritual man might try to fill it with sinful ways right rebellion against god i'm going to find life without god i'm going to find it in drugs or i'm going to find it in partying it's a it's a it's a bad pursuit right it's not going to fulfill you some of you guys have tried that right broken cisterns they call bible calls them right they're cisterns they don't hold water they satisfy for a little bit but what happens they leak You're never fully satisfied. And then there's the sincere man or the good man. He's going to try to fill the emptiness with what he deems as good things, which is maybe exercise, vitamins, good deeds, religious activity. That's how I'm going to find fulfillment. None of these things are going to satisfy them because what does he need? He was made to have the Spirit of God indwelling him. Therefore, only the Spirit of God can fully satisfy him, can fill that void. And that only happens when we come to faith in Christ. So when we come to Christ, the Spirit of God baptizes us, right? He comes to indwell us again, and we're the faith man again. We have that faith man frequency back, and we're restored in our relationship with God. And so that's the the principle that I have for us, is we must be born again. We must be made spiritually alive again through faith in Christ, Need to be made whole. You guys ever watch the Donut Man growing up? It's like a kid's ministry show. The Donut Man, he's got a hole in the center. You know, the donut. Okay, something if you have. I'll stop. Other you, you guys, the rest of you guys can look it up. It's awesome. So in verse 13 through 14, Paul begins to explain now the relationship between sin and the law. Sin and the law. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not counted against anyone when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who hadn't sinned in the likeness of the violation committed by Adam, who was a type of him who was to come. So basically, even though the law came much later than Adam, right, came during the time of Moses, uh, much later, Adam or Paul says sin was still in the world. And that's evident, by the way, that death reigned that whole time from Adam until Moses. In the, in the law, death was often right uh, uh, one of the, you know, if you sin against the law, you break the law, right? You deserve to die in many occasions. But Paul's just saying, look, even before the law, people were dying for their sin. I mean, this is, this is a law principle in the world. Law or not, transgression of the law or not, death reigned because of sin. And one of the, the helpful things to keep in mind, I think, when we're reading Romans is that transgression is different from sin. So transgression is a specific type of sin. Transgression means that a law has been given that has been now broken. You have gone, you have, you have crossed that boundary of the law that was previously defined. So as a kid, uh, you might you might sin in your household, and you you don't even realize it. You're that young. You don't know this rule. You don't know this command. You sin. Well, as soon as your parents that's why it's silly to discipline your kids for something that they don't even know if it's wrong yet. Okay. So, um, but once they know, right, that this is wrong, and you say here's the consequences for it. Once they cross that boundary willingly, right, they know it's wrong then it's a transgression. It's always a sin either way, but now it's become a trans, transgression. I just think that's helpful to understand when you're reading Romans because that word transgression keeps coming up. The law came in to increase transgressions. It came in to reveal sin, to make it plain, because God said, hey, here's the line. Don't cross it. And now that the law is in the world, it's very clear now when there's sin Okay, and people have no excuse. That's what he said in chapter 3, verse 19. He, that's The law holds the world accountable, even more so than conscience. Uh, it increased sin, chapter 5, verse 20 says, because like I said, if, if we see a sign, if we see the law say don't touch or wet paint, right, what are we going to do? Paul's going to talk about this in Romans 7, but this is how corrupt we are. This is how messed up our sin nature is. If we see a law that says, do not do this, what do we do? We do it. Paul says, I, I, I wouldn't have coveted it except the law said, don't covet. So now here I am coveting. This is how messed up we are. Uh, we're just going to touch on that briefly, but we'll, we'll look at it more in Romans 7. Um, in verse 14, Paul gets into the typology of, of Adam to Christ when he says Adam is a type of him who was to come. So him who was to come is Christ, and Adam's the type. You might actually say he's the anti-type of Christ who would come. Um, And that's the contrast that he sets up in the rest of the the chapter here, chapter 5, verses 15 through 21. We, We focus on the second man now, life and righteousness in Christ. Let's read this together, verse 15. But the free gift... The free, but, right? Aren't you glad? So we look at sin, condemnation, death. Verse 15 says, but, in contrast. But the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression of the one, the many died, much more did the grace of God. And the gift, of the, and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. "...the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For on the one hand, judgment arose from one transgression, resulting in condemnation. But on the other hand, the free gift arose from many transgressions, resulting in justification. For if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more those who received the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness the gift of righteousness, will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. So then as through one transgression there resulted in condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness there resulted in justification of life to all men. For as through one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one, capital O, the many will be made righteous. The law came in so that transgression would increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so, grace would reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So, that's one of the most amazing passages in all of Scripture. But I'll be honest with you. It's one of the hardest to preach, because there's just so much there. Um, So basically, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to restate what Paul said in a way that I hope will make it more digestible for us. I mean, there's just a lot there. And uh, basically, what this passage reveals, through a contrast between Adam and Christ, is that Christ has more power to save than Adam has to doom. Isn't that good? Christ has more power to save than Adam has to doom. What Adam did, Jesus undid. Adam in the garden failed. Jesus in the wilderness, when he was tempted, prevailed. Through one act of disobedience by Adam, the whole world was condemned. Through one act of obedience by Christ on the cross, the whole world could be justified freely by grace. Adam brought condemnation. Jesus brought grace. Adam made many sinners. Christ makes many righteous. Adam increased sin. Christ Increases grace to cover sin. I mean, isn't the, aren't these thoughts incredible? It is unbelievable. We have gained so much more in Christ than we ever lost in Adam. That's what this is saying. Jesus has redeemed us, and more so. I mean, it's unbelievable what Christ has done for us. And because, and he's able to, actually... This is why Jesus is able to do this. You know why? We celebrate it at every Christmas. It's because of the incarnation. See, Jesus is man, but he's also fully God. And what we celebrate at Christmas time is an incarnation. Jesus was born, he was conceived not of an earthly father but of the Holy Spirit in the Virgin Mary. Which means, not having an earthly father, but a heavenly one, he didn't inherit that sin nature. Does that make sense? He didn't inherit the sin nature from Adam because he never had an earthly father. Which means he never sinned. He never had that sin nature. Which means he didn't deserve to die. But he did die in our place. And so there's three imputations in the Bible. Adam imputed his sin nature to us. Our sin was imputed to Christ on the cross. And through faith in him, his righteousness is imputed to us. Isn't that amazing? This is why we don't want to say it's unfair that we're paying for Adam's sin because the principle is true in reverse. We freely receive grace and righteousness through Christ's obedience, not our own. That's not fair to Christ, is it? Because he had to pay for our sin, and he didn't deserve it. If God was fair, if we wanted God to be fair, we say that's not fair. If we want God to be fair, he'd have to take away that grace principle, and we would all be condemned in hell forever. In fact, he might as well zap us all right now for the sins we've committed. You don't want to say it's not fair. You don't want fairness. You want mercy and you want grace. And that's what Jesus did for us. You know, the other day we ordered a pizza. It was two days ago, actually. Someone didn't want to cook and do dishes. But it's also my wife's favorite pizza, and we were in alliance, and that's where it's at. So um, we order this pizza, and you go and pick it up bring it home and realize this isn't the pizza this isn't the right pizza this isn't the pizza this isn't the pizza we ordered and so we call them back and we say hey you know we, we you guys gave us the wrong pizza you know can you guys can we exchange it for the one we ordered and they say actually no you got to buy a new pizza now and i went what like that's unbelievable right business <laughs> you know and I, and I, the, the words literally came out of my mouth. I said, why should we have to pay for their mistake? And then I bit my tongue because my mind is in this passage. I went, that's exactly what Jesus did for us. He paid for our mistake, and he didn't have to. And so, that's why Paul can redundantly call justification salvation a free gift he paid for it himself because we could not pay for it he paid for our salvation it is now a free gift and by the way one of the funnest most Christ like things you can do if you want to have some fun pay for someone else's mistake I've done that a couple times and it's just one of, it's just fun to be like Christ in that. Try it sometime. Um, but th- that brings us back to the main theme of this entire letter of Romans. The theme, remember, is chapter 1, verses 16 through 17, the righteousness of God through faith. The righteousness of God is from faith to faith. Now, what is this righteousness of God? It's not our righteousness, obviously. The righteousness of God that justifies is a free gift that we are given through faith in Christ. It's a status. Now, God is righteous, right? That's a characteristic of God. But this righteousness of God, that phrase in Romans, is talking about a gift that he gives to us. He's saying, no matter what you do, no matter how good you are, no matter how religious you are, you cannot be righteous enough. Therefore, Jesus died to make you righteous with his righteousness. Isn't that? That's the good news. That's the gospel. And that's why... I can't quit preaching because that's the gospel. That's the gospel everybody needs to hear. That's why this church is here. Right? There's a, I don't don't want to get into it, but man, we need gospel preaching churches. We need gospel preaching saints. People need to hear this message because this world is so full of legalism and false gospels. every religion in the world except authentic Christianity is teaching man to try and be good enough to get to heaven, basically. That's why it's so important that we get this message right. It's a free gift. Grace, by definition, must always be free. Gifts are always free. You never work for a gift, do you? As soon as you work for a gift, it becomes not a gift, but a a reward, something that you've earned. And so, we've got to keep that clear. He did all the work for us. And Uh, this is both an invitation and an ultimatum when you think about it. It's an invitation saying, here, take freely the gift of life. But it's also an ultimatum which says, you need this, and if you don't take it, you won't have life. And so if you're here this morning, you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'd invite you to do that. Even right here and right now, you can, in your heart, while I'm still preaching, call out to Christ in your heart and say, Lord Jesus, I need that gift. Of salvation okay because because it is a gift but you have to receive it personally it has to be an exchange between you and the Lord it's a personal relationship issue well this last principle I've got for us is one of my favorites in the entire Bible verses 18 well it's verses 20 through 21 and it's this. Grace always outpaces our sin. Grace always outpaces our sin. The grace afforded us in Christ is so free and so su- so sufficient that He says that grace is always going to outperform our sin. So it's just a radical grace principle, isn't it? The law increased sin, but where sin increases, grace increases all the more. It superabounds. It extends, so if if sin makes one step, grace makes two. This is for believers. This isn't saying that grace covers everybody's sin in the world and, you know, everybody can go on sin. You know, Jesus died to free us from sin, right? But when we sin, we take five steps in sin, grace takes six. You take eight, it takes nine. This is an amazing, this is one of my favorite principles. And, and is it, we need remember this because um, some of you might need to hear that this morning because you feel like you're you're a sinful failure on so many levels. As a believer, you might have had your worst day today in a long time or your worst day recently than you have in a long time. Maybe you really blew it, did some things you shouldn't have done. You've got some godly sorrow over it, some grief. You need to know grace outpaces your sin even on your worst day. When sin reaches its high water mark, grace floods over it still. One man said, sin cannot erect a dam so high that grace cannot overflow it. That's a beautiful picture. In the 1400s, Spain minted a coin that said there's no more beyond Spain. They thought that Spain was the end of the world. They hadn't made it to the new world yet. Christopher Columbus hadn't sailed the ocean blue. It's in the 1400s. No plus ultra. No more beyond this. We're Spain, we're it. Well, 1492, I think it was, Christopher Columbus sails, finds the new world, and they have to remint these coins to say plus ultra. There's more beyond. And as a sinner, you might be tempted to think your sin is just too much for God. There's no more grace available, but plus ultra. More beyond. There's always more beyond in Christ because of what he's done for us. He's the only one who has the power to change your life by the power of his grace. He's the one man. There's only one name under heaven that has the power to change our lives and to change change this world. He is the only one who can make the difference. He's the only one who can bring healing to you spiritually. He's the only one who can satisfy what you're really longing for. He's the only one who can bring healing to your relationships, your marriage, your, 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 your personal life. He's it. He's the only one who can bring hope and healing, restoration, and freedom. And as his followers, it's amazing to think that we can, by being Christ-like, we can change the world too. Like, well, the world changes... Changing the world happens one Jesus follower at a time. One Jesus follower at a time. Living the way God intended in these day-to-day moments. Someone once said, one smile can start a friendship, one word can end a fight, one look can save a relationship, and one person can change your life. That one person is Jesus, but we in turn get to take that, that, that person and we can now be like him and we can make a difference in our world as well think about the power of one this morning let's pray lord thank you so much for romans chapter 5 i i sit here just mind blown by the incredible grace that is given to us in christ it's so much grace that paul would call it a free gift which is just totally redundant. But Lord, we are so thankful for that. And I pray that you would help us to share this incredible grace with our friends and with our family, with those who are in our sphere of influence. Lord, help us to to bring you, to bring your grace, to rely on your grace in our day-to-day moments throughout the day, that we might be more like him. And that others would see that and want that as well. Lord, use us to bring healing and restoration to our community, to our co-workers, to our families, to our friends, to our neighborhoods, wherever we go. Let us be about Jesus. And it's in His name we pray. Amen.